Father God, I, I thank you, Lord, Lord, for who you are, Lord, for what you're doing, Lord, what you're doing in this church. Father, I thank you for a great Be Now weekend that we could pour into the youth of this church and in, of our community. Lord, I pray that this morning as Pastor Matt comes and speaks, Lord, it, it's easy to see everything that's going on, but God. And Lord, I pray that our focus, all of our attention is on you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, you can be seated. Thanks so much for being a part of our service this morning, participating, singing. I thank you for the celebration of 13 years. Our church is becoming that awkward teenager, so I'm pretty excited about that. I, uh, I, it's amazing to me to think about the church in general of, of it being 13 years old because my uh, daughter, Maylee, was about... 18 months old when we got this whole thing started. So when I look at her, I just think, I, I can't believe we've been doing this for this long. And then I saw her up here in the cone. And I got just a little bit emotional that, <laughs> that my daughter's up here serving on a worship team. And just such a, it's such an amazing thing to be a part of and get to pour into people's lives and see the lives that have changed over the last 13 years. The people who have come, the people even who have gone, the people we've got to invest in. And it's just been so amazing to be able to celebrate what God's been doing. And today we're in our fifth week of Made Worthy in our book of Ephesians. And the songs, it wasn't like I sat down with Kyle and said, hey, we need to sing this song and this song and this song to make sure it fits with what we're trying to say. They, they fit because we've been made worthy by God. And we sing and we praise Him for it. And the kids, you get to stick around in here today and we get to celebrate it together. And if you don't have one of those little note things, go ahead and grab one of those now. Because you're going to be writing some things down. And you're also going to have an opportunity to color the verse of the day. And as we are looking at the verse of the day, really the passage of the day, there's two words we're going to be focused on specifically. Kyle already prayed them, but there are two that we're going to see as they come together. And there are two words that I've actually joked about writing a book about. But I got onto Amazon, and I realized over 100 people have written books about these two words already, so it kind of stole my thunder. Um, so I'll, I'll pass and we'll go on to something else. But these are two words that describe a before and an after. A, def, a before and an after. And as we look at the before and the after, I'm not sure about you, but I get sucked into social media reels. One specifically as of late that are these uh, landscaping ones and power washing ones. And maybe you've seen them, maybe you haven't. But it's about a guy who goes up to a, a house that is completely overgrown. All the weeds are overgrown. All the grass is overgrown. They have grass in these other places. Uh, all, the, all the stuff is overgrown. The bushes are all out of whack. And he goes up and says, hey, I just want to clean up your yard for free. And he videotapes himself. Well, <laughs> wow, that's old. Um, he records himself with his phone. And, uh, and in it, he cleans up the whole yard. He edges it. He mows it. He cuts all the bushes. And the before and after... The transformation is something that is just amazing. You see the same thing with the power washing videos where they go and clean the concrete or they clean the bricks. And it's just the before and after transformation. It, it, it sucks me in. I will literally sit and just watch and go, man, if I wasn't a pastor, I think I'd be a landscaper because that looks amazing. Just to be able to do that and change that. But I'm not sure about you, but I love a good transformation story. I love a, a great change of heart. I love a great before and an after. And the words that I just mentioned all fall under the two words that we're going to talk about today. And if you haven't guessed, those two words are, but God. But God. And you're going to see throughout our morning this morning, kids, you're going to see that whole verse on the, on the second page of your note pages there. 
These are life-changing, life-moving verses. But God. But God are two words that change everything. They're words that are not only found in our passage this morning, but they're found throughout the Bible. They're focused on the gospel. They are the focus of the gospel. They're really probably the central theme of the Bible. As, as Colossians 1 says this, God would rescue people like us from the dark domain and transfer us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That God would do something like that. But God is the message of the cross. If you look at the but God verses of the Bible, they all have a kind of a central theme. But God versus the Bible have A, a problem. A problem that needs to be addressed. They have B, a turning point. A turning point that God in His mercy and grace has a perfect solution to that said problem. And then three, there's an outcome. And that outcome is for His glory and our good. Here's an example. Psalm 73, 26. It's a psalm that you probably have heard in worship songs by like Chris Tomlin when it's, I will rise or, or your give me faith. Um, it says this, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You have the problem. The problem is sin. Our physical bodies fail and they decay. Our spiritual lives, they fall short. But the next part of the verse is, but God. But God, He is a perfect solution to that problem. And in that, there is a strength and a deliverance that comes from that. And that is the solution that we see. And the great outcome is, is that we are secure in Him forever. Those are beautiful words. But now go over to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. I know you're just like, yeah, sure, I'm going right to that one. Um, that is a story of Joseph. A story you may have read, a story you may have heard about a guy whose brothers sell him into slavery. And while in slavery, he gets in prison for a crime that he did not commit. And throughout his life, God is using him, God is shaping him. And he explains it in verse uh, 20 of chapter 50. He says, for you talking to his brothers, intended to harm me. But God intended it for something to good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In this one verse, you see the sovereignty of God. You see the providence of God over all things, and that even includes evil. We ask why God allows evil, but sometimes I don't think we see the big picture. We see it over and over again in the Old Testament. Abraham has a but God moment. Isaac has a but God moment. Jacob, Joseph, the entire nation of Israel has but God moments. I've been reading through the book of Judges this week. I'm not sure if you've read through that one, but it's all about Israel failing and God coming back in. And then Israel failing and God coming back. It, it's a whole cyclical thing that takes place. But God moments. All those but God moments for for the people's good, but also His glory. If you are a Christian in this room today, you have had a but God moment. And that but God moment will be explained and shown in our passage today. So as you flip there, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 is where we're going to find ourselves. I want to r remind you of how we got here. We got to this place because in the beginning of Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and he's reminding them who they are. And not only who they are, but whose they are. And as we see that, we also see that Paul begins to remind them of all the great blessings that God has poured out on each and every one of them. And in those great blessings, Paul shifts 
to a prayer to thank God for what the blessings are, but also so people's eyes would be open to see who God really is and what God has really done. And this is what leads into our passage today. Follow along with me, if you would, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We, too, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. Then we find our two words, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might display the immeasurable riches of His glory and His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In our passage today, we see our what? Our problem. We see our how, the solution, and we see the why, the outcome of the gospel message that is found at the cross in these two words, but God. Let's start with the what, found in verses 1 through 3. The problem. The problem is our problem. Right out of the gate, you see two words, you and dead. You and dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Why is it important that we start with you? Why is it important? Because oftentimes we recognize there are bad people in the world, but we are not one of them. There are people in the world that are bad. It's always somebody else, always some other culture, always some other political party, always some other religion. But it's not us. But the truth is, and the Bible is clear on this, there are those who fall short of the glory of God, and then there's Jesus. Guess which category you fall into? We do not fall into the Jesus category naturally. We are dead in our sin and our trespasses. And, you know, sometimes that's a tough pill for us to swallow because it's not the gentle, loving, kind Bible verses that we get to try and focus on because we don't want to hurt feelings. But sometimes we have to focus on this truth. It starts with the man or the woman in the mirror that we are sinners that we fall short. And now, because of it, we are dead. Another, even tougher pill to swallow. When we see that word, the truth isn't just that sin is something that we do. Sin is something, what we are. Sin isn't just an action. It's really the foundational condition of each and every one of our hearts. Let me explain it this way. We don't do bad things that make us bad. We do bad things because we are bad. I know, I'm going to let that soak in for a second. We don't lie, cheat, and steal, and the result is we become greedy and selfish. We lie, cheat, and steal because we are naturally greedy and selfish. Basically, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. If you don't believe me, I'll use any kid in this room that has stayed with us as an example. Any parent in this room that has had to teach their kids how to be bad. Anybody? No. I never have to teach my kids, hey, don't do that. Don't punch your brother in the face. Don't lie. Don't do those things. No, it's, I have to teach them the opposite. I have to teach them manners. I have to teach them 
proper respect. I have to teach them to be good because our natural inclination is the opposite. We by nature are dead. From birth we are aging and growing close to physical death and that may sound incredibly morbid but the truth is we are all in a process of decay. We're all in a process today and we can cover it up and preserve it for a little while if we want to but eventually it will show itself in us. It's like me at the butcher shop. Have you ever gone to the butcher shop and looked at the, the case and you see the steak, the ribeye steak that is sitting in there? Guess what that steak is? It better be dead. It's in that case, and it is dead. There is no life in it. And eventually, even though it's being refrigerated, decay is going to show itself. We can preserve it for a little while, but decay is going to show itself for a little while. Well, the same thing is true of us, and the same thing is especially true in our spiritual lives. In our natural state, we are spiritually dead. We can try and preserve it for a little while, and try and do good things, but decay sets in. As descendants of Adam... All of us are spiritually dead. And our spiritual death, because of sin, also separates us from Christ. It separates us from God. This is our biggest problem. Why? Because dead people cannot revive themselves. Dead people cannot come back to life on their own. There is no hope for them on their own. And an even harder truth to grasp is this. Due to our sin, there's a separation from God. And these are the results that we'll talk about further into the summer when we get further into Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18 says, They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. Being dead in sin, that is some bad news. That is some bad news. But like those old infomercials, if you ever watch commercials ever, you remember those infomercials, they always said these words, but wait, there's more. There's more to the story than this. That was just verse 1. Look at verse 2. In which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the rule of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. So there's some things this, this verse mentions to us that apart from Christ, our desire is not Christ. Our desire is to walk according to the ways of the world. 1,500 years ago, a guy by the name of St. Augustine, he said it this way. He said the world marches to a drumbeat of three things. The three things are money, pleasure, and power. 1,500 years ago he said that. Not much has changed. The world marches to money. It's obsessed with it. It loves it. It wants more of it at any cost. Pleasure. Please ourselves. Please our feelings. And please our bodies at any cost. Power. I want control and I want it now at any cost. These are the loves of the world and the world gives them the devotion that should be reserved specifically for God. As a matter of fact, 1 John chapter 2 mentions this, this passage of the things that we're not supposed to love. It says this starting in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's possessions, which sounds like Augustine might have stolen a few things and plagiarized, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world with its lust is, these next two words are important, passing away. They're in the midst of decay. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. See, apart from Christ, my life is passing away. 
chasing after the things that are temporary. Apart from Christ, our next desire, the verse actually says, walks according to the rule of the power of the air. You know who that is? It's Satan. He's the one behind our love and devotion to these little G-gods and trying to distract us from our big G-god. He is the one that says, we are going to disobey God. We are sons and daughters of disobedience, that passage says. Now, that's a crazy thought to think about because when I think of somebody who follows Satan, I don't look at just the average person. There's going to be some telltale signs, right? They're going to be all dressed dark and goth and they're going to have like pentagram tattoos on the back of their hand and all kinds of... That might be our thought. But if you're apart from Christ, you're following Satan. We have to worship something and it's either God or it's not. And if it's not, the prince of the power of the air rules the other stuff. We have to come to that realization that apart from Christ, we are lost. And we're following after things that are bad. Reading these verses, you're like, wow, that's rough. But go back to our infomercial. But wait, there's more. There's still verse 3. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. And we by nature, children under wrath, as others were also. We are born spiritually dead, and we are children under wrath. Wrath? That's a word that we don't really like to talk about much. Wrath is, is a word that, that there, there are pastors who try and separate the Old Testament from the New Testament. and say, well, the God of the Old Testament is the God of wrath and the God of being mean. By the way, He's not. The thing I just talked about in Judges shows that He's not. But He is the same God of the Old Testament as He is in the New Testament. And then when we are apart from Christ, we are under wrath. I would love for it to be wrong in our translation. I would love for the people who wrote the Bible um, in the Greek to have written a word that didn't say wrath, but it was like children under misunderstanding. Or, or, or children under grief and sadness. Children who are confused. But it doesn't. The translation is wrath. Why wrath? Well, the biblical definition of wrath is this. God's righteous anger and judgment. Something we need to know about God's righteous anger is this. It's always right. It's always right and it brings good into bad situations even if that means judgment. We are children of wrath. We deserve God's anger and judgment. How many of you guys think that sounds mean? I don't need you to show me your hands. But before we jump to God's being mean, I think we need to understand something. And that understanding is this. All of us want righteous judgment against someone who has done something wrong. We want righteous judgment against somebody who shot up a school. We want righteous judgment against somebody who has harmed a child. We want righteous judgment who has done somebody who's done something against us that we perceive as evil. We want that judgment. We won't let them just have a free pass. This last week, uh, Christy and I were watching a documentary on that Jared uh, from Subway and the things that he did. And just inside my blood was boiling with anger. And the fact he only got 15 years for what he did. Kyle and Bruce and I have had a discussion about we think that some people like that should be put on Hunger Games and whoever survives, they get to have a lifetime prison sentence. All the rest of them, it's okay. 
true feeling inside because that's the anger and righteous judgment and wrath that I would put down. So why do we think that God is mean when we know that there needs to be judgment? Because to God, we are those criminals. We are those criminals. We are sinners guilty of high treason against the holy God. We've attempted to kick him off the throne and put another idol in his place. We deserve his wrath. And some of us don't want to hear it. We don't like those words, but we need to hear it. And we need to learn it, and we need to embrace it, and we even need to love it. We need to embrace this absolute truth. It's not perceived. It is not interpreted. It's absolute. And knowing that truth, you know what Jesus tells us in John chapter 8? It's going to set us free. It's going to set us free. We need to understand that this is our problem. This is the biggest problem that's facing all of mankind. And I told the kids at D-Now on Friday night, there's nothing we can do to fix it because we are dead. We can't bring ourselves back to life. Why do we need to understand? Why do we need to understand how far we were? Because those next two words are that much more important. Those next two words are, but God. But God. He provided the perfect solution, and that solution is found in Jesus Christ. Here's a question for you. Why would God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all life, the God who knows all, sees all, and is everywhere, and all-powerful, provide a solution to our problem? Why would He do that? The next verses tell us, But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. This is the powerful, life-changing message of the cross. It's why we remember Good Friday. It's why we will come together and celebrate Easter next week. It's why, as Christians, we live our lives differently for the one and only King, that we don't chase after the money and the pleasure and the power of the world. You know why I spent so much time telling you bad news? You know why I told you so much time on verses 1 through 3 to help you understand it, to ask you to embrace it and even love it? Because of this, it makes that but God that much better. It makes the richness in His mercy that much richer. It makes the greatness of His love that much greater. This is the best news any person could ever read or hear. Those verses I just read for you, that but God, it is truly mind-blowing. And if it's not for you, go back and read verses 1 through 3 again. Because it will show just a highlight on that but God. And the best part about it is, it's for you and it's for me. It's not just some general mankind. It was specific for you and for me and it should make a difference in our lives. Why? Well, because God, in verse 5, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Is that verse up there? Leave it up there for a second. What's that last uh, punctuation there at the end? It's an exclamation point. If Paul is writing with an exclamation point, that means he's what? Excited. Yeah, I know. Going back to English 101. I apologize for some of you who've been out for a while. That means excited. So if he's excited about it, guess what? I should be excited about it. I should read it and see it. That I have been saved by grace. That I've been made alive with Christ even though I was dead in my trespasses. Those, those first 
five words, made alive with Christ. But God, He made us alive with Christ because He's rich in mercy, because His great love for us, because He is transformational. He changed everything. Our lives were changed forever when He made us alive in Christ. We became united with Him. We became righteous because of Him. We were made complete by Him in His perfection. See, Jesus came to earth to live the perfect life, to die a sacrificial death for me and for you. He was condemned to die because of my sin. And He took my place. He took that wrath on Himself. He took the wrath that I deserve, not because I earned it, not because I deserved it. You know why I know that? Because it says in that passage, even though I was made alive, even though I was dead in my trespasses, even though I was sinning against God, even though I was guilty of high treason, punishable by death. It's like Romans 5.8 says, but God, hey, those are those two words again, proves His own love for us and while we were still sinners, while we were still under wrath, still condemned, Christ died for us. He took the punishment for us. He stepped into the courtroom and He said, all that guy's punishment is on me. He said that. Because He loved us. It's blowing me away. It's like the great exchange in the Easter story. I'm not sure if you've really ever paid attention to it. It's one that just irks me even when I read it. But there's only one reason why you know the name Barabbas. He was a lifetime criminal. He was a wicked person that deserved to die. But Christ was condemned in his place. He got to go free. That's me. That's what I think makes me cringe. That that I deserve to die, but Christ stepped in. What great mercy. What great grace. What great love. All three of these are shown in the message of the cross. As I look at it, I think about Friday, I think about Sunday coming up. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. And mercy is not getting what we do deserve because of grace. That is the love of God. Him rescuing His people from the power of sin and death and hell. That is great news. But this is the better part. There's more. I know the verses 1 through 3 weren't the great, there's more. These are the great, there's more. Listen to what it says here in verse 6. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Not only did He make us alive in Christ, He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ. I know you might be like, well, what does that mean? We'll get to that in a second. But here's what I love about so far what I've read. If you are a Christian, all of this is past tense. All of this is past tense. Listen to what it says. You once were previously lived he made us raised us seated us we are already seated with christ in a place of honor in god's eyes salvation is accomplished it is mine i am a part of the family even though i was once his enemy there's a great picture of this story in second samuel chapter 9 second samuel chapter 9 is a story of king david and a guy by the name of we're going to call him M and go kind of our 007 route and keep it simple today. 
See, Mephibosheth, M, was the disabled grandson of David's enemy, King Saul. And in that time and in that culture, it says that the reigning king could kill every member of the family of the enemy of theirs and be okay. So in this, M deserved death. And guess what? Being disabled, it was actually frowned on, and within that royal culture, M would have been hidden away so he wouldn't be a disgrace to their family. And then on top of that, he would not be allowed to meet with the king in public even of a king of his own family, King Saul. But David calls to have a meeting with him in public. What do you think M was thinking? He's like, I'm going to die. This is the end. Death was coming. But King David, in his mercy and grace, accepted M into his home, not just into his home, but into his family. And he became a son of King David, seated at the king's table. We are Mephibosheth. It's a tongue twister. I'm sorry, everybody. I, I really apologize. Yeah. yeah, It is a tough word. Once an enemy. Once broken and maimed. And once not seen. But God. But now, a child of God, seated in the heavens in Christ Jesus. That is great news. But wait. There's more. Verse 7. And so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So that those two words are just as important as the the but God. So that why did God do what he did? Why are we made alive? Why are we saved from being a follower of the world system to becoming a follower of Christ? Why are we marked Why are we sealed? Why are we chosen? Why are we predestined? Why are we adopted? What is that outcome? Remember, there's a problem, there's a solution, and there's an outcome. What is the outcome? So that we can enjoy Him now and forever. So that we can display His grace both now and forever. That is why. What should that look like in our lives? Well, the answer is found for me in that old hymn that we sang just a couple of weeks ago. Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God. Because of His Spirit, born in His Spirit, and washed by the blood. You know what this is? It's my story. And this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. That should be the result. Let's live differently. But far too often in our lives, we live with spiritual amnesia. We're like the Israelites in the Old Testament. That cycle. They forget what God has done. They forget that they are in God. They forget they are alive in Christ. We do the same thing. We have been raised up with Him in the heavens. Let's live differently. Let's celebrate the fact that God's perfect solution, Jesus, came because of our biggest problem, sin. Let's celebrate that God is in the business of life change. It doesn't matter who you were It's the fact that you once were. That you are being changed. If you are a Christian, you have a but God moment in your life. Let's celebrate that. That He is changing us. That He is making us. That He is transforming us into who He wants us to be. That's what Easter is all about. That's why we celebrate. That's why people are going to come next week, maybe for the only time all year. 
That's why we'll have two services, because people want to remember what Christ has done. We've got to live out the joy that God has given us. The God of the universe would step into our old lives and make us new. Live out the freedom found in the truth that you once were dead, but now you are alive. And let me tell you, if you haven't experienced a but God moment yet in your life, let's talk today. Let me tell you about who God is and what He can do in you and through you. If you have experienced a but God moment, can I tell you to share it? There are people out there living in this decay of a world, chasing after temporary things that everyone knows will not satisfy, but they don't know. They don't know those two words, but God. But you know why you've been placed in their lives? To share it with them. Easter is next week and people are waiting for you to invite them to meet Jesus. They're waiting for you to invite them to experience God's grace. Let's not shirk our responsibilities. Let's not push them off to the side. Let's do what God has called us to. Let's do what God has saved us for. To bring Him glory and honor and live in His grace now and forevermore. Let's pray and praise God that it is all because of Jesus that we're alive. Father, thank You for who You are. And thank you for what you continue to do in each and every one of us. Thank you for those two words found in this scripture. But God. God, I was lost. I was dead in my sin. I was under your wrath. But you made me alive. Through your son, Jesus Christ, even while I was still dead in my trespasses, I didn't earn it. I didn't find some way to to make you happy with me. God, you did it out of your grace and your love and your mercy. People in here that have experienced that, God, give us the passion to share that with people. People who have not experienced that, I pray today is the day that you're speaking to their heart, that they learn about this God who loves them enough to send their son to live and to die and to take the wrath that we deserve so we can have eternal life with you. We pray it all in your name, Lord. Amen.